Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Arobay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de $25 dólares al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita BoostMobile.com para detalles. Dicen que traigo la suerte a todo el que está a mi lado. Y esa es mi mala fortuna. Basada en el clásico de Juan Rulfo, llega Univision, el gallo de oro. Supongamos que la caponera puede inclinar la suerte a quien ella quiera. Estás tardando en conquistarla. Con Lucero, José Ron y Plutarco Asa. Este gallo me está cambiando la vida. En una historia legendaria de amor y azar. No trates de cambiarme, no lo vas a lograr. El gallo de oro, lunes a viernes a las 9 por Univision. Tantrums, toddlers, and tired. These three words go together so much when you're the parent of kids under five. Today, we're chatting with parenting coach and founder of Transforming Toddlerhood, Devin Kuntzman, who is about to show us the truth about toddlerhood and how it's not as terrible as you think. We read the books. We bought the things. We thought we were ready. And then life took our plans and changed them. I'm Karen. I'm Victoria's mommy, and I work in tech. And I'm Pamela. I have a baby boy named Ford, and I'm a journalist. And although we're both first-time working moms, we're actually pretty different. And that's totally okay, because we both agree that our most important work is raising our kids. We really need each other and can only get through this together. Welcome to Motherish Moments. All right. Hi, everybody. So listen to this. Pamela is not here today. This is our first episode without Pamela, and I already sent her a really sad reel with Celine Dion all by myself in the background because I'm like, how could you abandon me like this? But the good news is that I have an amazing guest today who I think is going to answer a lot of the questions that you all have as we deal with our lovely, lovely toddlers. But before we jump into talking to Devin, I'm going to share really quickly my motherish moment. I'm super excited because, as you know, in our household. It's all, we don't talk about Bruno every single day of my life. Encanto, encanto, encanto. And I got her the dress from Mirabel. Yesterday I took the dress out of the box and she was like, her eyes like basically almost like came out of her face. Like she was like, <gasps> she couldn't believe it. So I immediately like put the dress on her. I put on, we don't talk about Bruno and she just couldn't believe it. And it was super fun to watch and nothing. I just felt like, yes, good, good parenting move. On to our guest. So Devin is the founder of Transforming Toddlerhood. If you're not following on Instagram, please do that immediately at Transforming Toddlerhood. It is basically a holy grail of like toddler knowledge, parenting knowledge. Honestly, I feel like most of it is for us, for the parents, right? Obviously our kids can't read, but uh, it's for us to help us kind of get through because they're kind of going to be who they are. But anyway, uh, she holds a degree in psychology and child development and is an ICF certified coach. Hi, Devin. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so, so excited to have you here. You know, for context so that everybody knows here, we have been chatting for quite some time and it's been, you know, the scheduling is crazy with like the holidays and COVID and all the things, but I'm so excited to finally have you here on Motherish. I'm so excited to be here. I know it took us a while, but we made it. <laughs> we made it. We made it. Okay. So, 
I'll give you a little bit of background. So I have a, a two, almost three-year-olds, a very uh, spicy, almost three-year-old little girl. And Pamela has an almost two-year-old. So both of our babies were born in April, one year apart. Both, well, Victoria's not so much a pandemic baby, but Ford is a pandemic baby. He was born in April of 2020, right in the height of the craziness. And so I think where I'd like to start off is... The part that I read about the most, which is how for really managing toddlers and raising toddlers efficiently, so much of it is held within the reactions of the parent, right? And our emotions, which I kind of think is the hardest part. Can we kind of start there? Like, how do we effectively manage our own emotions as parents? Yeah, well, you know, it's challenging because, you know, called to be parents and caregivers, and this is something that you know, when you have a child at home, you're doing every day, seemingly 24-7. But the thing is, you're still a human being. You're a parent and a human being. And you're also a person who does other things and has other roles in life. But if you take all these different roles and boil it down underneath, you're a human. And to be human means that we have a full spectrum of emotions. And so even though it can be totally inconvenient when we get triggered by a toddler through throwing food or dumping their milk on the floor or saying no um, or looking us in the eyes while they just do the opposite of what we ask. It can be so frustrating, can be so triggering. But I just want to say to everyone that first of all, if you're feeling these emotions, it means you're human and that is okay because we wouldn't want to wipe out one half of our like emotional capacity because it's inconvenient, uncomfortable, or pops up at moments where we just wish it would go away. You know what I mean? (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've had the thought where, for example, you know, I'm trying to follow, like I'm trying to stay level-headed, right? I'm trying to keep my cool. And, you know, let's say Victoria, I'm like, don't do this. Or I'm going to take this spoon away from you because you're throwing the spoon and that's not what we do or whatever. Or it seems like you're done eating because you're trying to throw the food. So I'm going to take that away from you. But like, there's moments where like, it's normal. I lose my patience. She is like, whatever. And like, I'll yell or I'll feel whatever. And immediately after I feel so guilty because I will spiral into these thoughts of like, you wanted a baby so badly and now you have one and look at you, you yell at her or you lost your patience with her. And it's such a battle in our own heads. And meanwhile, I feel like toddlers have the recovery of like, you know, the freaking little ball like two seconds later they're like mommy I love you and you're like but I'm still messed up from what just happened so like the guilt part um tricky but please tell me it's normal yes oh my goodness so you know what you're describing is just so common because see toddlers live in the present moment right they're not stuck on the future they're not stuck on the past they're living in the present moment and that can be really jarring for us adults who just have so much going on in our minds that we tend to spend you know quite a bit of time looking through what i like to call the rearview mirror kind of revisiting the past where feelings of like guilt and shame and embarrassment and beating ourselves up can you know come up 
And then a lot of times looking towards the future as well, but sometimes looking so far down the future, like way down the line, then we're like worried and anxious and wondering if it's always going to be this way. We're toddlers just spend all this time in the present moment. And I think what's so interesting is like when we feel ourselves getting frustrated like this or getting triggered because like really a toddler's just doing like the same thing over and over again and our boundaries getting crossed and then we get upset. The thing is, is that oftentimes in those moments, our brains are perceiving a threat. We're perceiving this toddler's behavior as a threat, as a threat to some core need or a threat to like our well-being. It doesn't mean it's actually a threat, but our brain perceives it as a threat and then starts off the whole stress response and really what I see on the surface is creates a sense of urgency. So we're like, oh my gosh, we have to make this stop right now because we feel this threat. And so one thing that I really work with my private coaching clients on is creating what I call creating safety and helping them really delineate between, okay, what is a threat or an emergency and what isn't. So I always say we want to start by creating that physical safety. So we want to make sure like if a toddler's running to a street or a parking lot, you know, we do what it takes to run after them yeah. and make them safe. Or if they're standing on a chair about to jump off and you're like, whoa, okay, <laughs> we need to dial it back here, you know. So do what you have to do to create that physical safety and then remind yourself, okay, my toddler's safe. I'm safe. We're all safe right now. This is not an emergency. And when we can start to remind ourselves, this is not an emergency. I'm safe. My child's safe. We can start to disrupt that stress response and create a little bit of space between our emotions and our actions. And that's mm -hmm. the goal, you know, positive parenting. Everyone always talks about this pause, this pause. We got to pause before you respond. And it's like, all right, well, I like thought about the pause like 10 minutes later. <laughs> you know, so. Actually, my most recent, like really intense moment with Victoria was where she was on her scooter and she was like threatening to go out in the street and like literally went out to the street. And I was like, no. And I like swooped her up and I got her back to the steps. But at that point, I was like, we're safe. Let me bring it back down here. But then I ended up giving her this whole speech where I'm like, she doesn't care about how much I like love her right now. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So like you were still probably in that stress response, but you're in like a lower level of it, you know, which is okay because this is a practice. I always say practice makes progress, not perfection. So it's a practice. It's something that we practice. But when we start to realize it's not an emergency, we can start to ground ourselves and we can start to really just come back to our emotional equilibrium. So then we can address whatever behavior happened. Of course, you know, lecturing a two or a three-year-old isn't probably the best way to make a point because they just like don't even hear it. It goes She's out the like, door, but what that's are you okay. You about? know, but we can work on that part as well. But I also want to touch on the guilt part because, you know, I mean, every day parents and caregivers come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm just failing. I'm doing such a bad job. And I'm like, well, tell me more. Like, what has you say that? And they're like, well, gosh, I yelled and I just felt so horrible and I just feel so guilty. And I'm like, okay, I hear these are your feelings, but I want to remind you feelings are not facts. Feelings are your interpretations and your reactions to the facts. And, you know, of course it might feel better if like we didn't go straight to that reaction and yell and we can practice and eventually we can dial that back a little bit. But 
if it happens, you're a human being and there's always the opportunity to repair. So that's what I tell parents and caregivers is like, you know what, what you do in the beginning, of course it matters to an extent, but it's really how we take ownership for our actions and repair the relationship afterward. And guess what? It's also a beautiful learning moment for your kiddo because then they realize they don't have to be perfect. And sometimes they're going to lose their patience and feel out of control. And you're actually teaching them how like such important social, emotional skills when you Mm -hmm. come back and take ownership and repair the relationship in those moments. That part really um, resonates because I think there's a lot of work that you know, when we're in this position as parents, we think a lot about our our own childhood, the way that we were raised. And now with these, I mean, I don't know if they're like modern philosophies or whatever. I definitely in my Hispanic Latino like upbringing, like, like it's like kind of tough love, right? Where like you have to stop crying. I was also like a big crier. I'm still a big crier. But like there's a certain level of like, get your shit together. Like we're fine. I feel like now there's so much more space to allow children to like go through the feeling of emotions because like you mentioned then as adults you end up feeling like if I'm feeling some kind of way like I shouldn't be feeling that way I need to be fine and you can't be fine all the time you know so I think there's also a whole exercise on disconnecting your own upbringing in a way it could be mostly good and that's fine too but almost doing a reset and saying for my child this is what I want So that's a whole other bucket. Yeah, you know, and it's not a one and done thing. I mean, this is at its core, what we're talking about is reparenting. And, you know, it's really like going back and looking at that little, you know, for me as a child, everyone, my name's Devin, everyone call me Didi. And like going back and looking at that little Didi and saying, hey, I see you. How are you doing? It's okay, you know, and just giving that inner child a little bit of love. And, you know, what it looks like is like giving my inner child some space to have the feelings that maybe I wasn't allowed to have when I was younger. Because the thing is, what we know now about children and brain development and that to help kids have these social emotional skills, we want to give them space to feel their emotions and support them in processing it. But it's going to be extremely challenging to do that with your little one if you're constantly shutting down or um, your own emotions are beating yourself up for having certain emotions. So it really does start with us. I have found myself chatting or talking through certain things with Victoria. Like sometimes she'll be really frustrated about something that's ending, right? They always talk about transitions. Transitions are hard, right? We stop doing something that they're really enjoying because we need to leave this place or leave the playground or whatever. Ever since she was really, really little, I mean, she's not even three, but like even smaller, like I would be like, I know that you want to stay here and I know that this is really fun, but now we have to go. And when we go, do you want to do this or this with me or whatever? And I try to paint that picture and I know there's like, I've talked about this with my mom who I'm very close with. She'll be looking at me like, wow, you're like really treating her almost like not parallel, right? But like she's a human being. She's just a significantly smaller one, but she's a human being. But sometimes you feel crazy. But with that practice, I definitely think 
we get to a better place. Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Garopay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de 25 dólares al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita BoostMobile.com para detalles. Familia querida de Univision, aquí Lucero para decirles que no se pueden perder el gallo de oro. Lunes a viernes a las 9 por Univision. I have a few questions from our Instagram community. I told them that we were going to be chatting with you and then our DMs were flooded with a lot of different questions from people. So the first one is around how to deal with different parenting styles. So I think another tricky part of parenting, if you're not doing it on your own, if you're doing it with, you know, your significant other, is that not only are, you know, these two people experiencing like a significantly life-changing moment by becoming parents, but now you have a mix of two styles, possibly two perspectives, and sometimes situations happen before you even knew you had to talk about them beforehand. What do you think about having to deal with different parenting styles in the moment with toddlers? Absolutely. So I get a lot of questions about this and everyone's been asking me to do a workshop on it. Maybe I will here in 2022. <laughs> yes. um, But the first thing I like to say is like, okay, you're a unique individual. Your parenting partner is a unique individual. We have two unique individuals trying to, in partnership, raise another unique individual. So there's just a lot of blending that needs to kind of happen in this moment. But the thing is, is that I hear a lot of talk about, okay, well, I just need to get my parenting partner on the same page. Like ideally everyone's on the same page. However, that doesn't always work out that way, but that doesn't mean that you can't be united and have a great working relationship with your co-parent. So I always say, why don't we think about trying to get into the same book? And how I recommend doing this is that, you know, if you're like have two differing opinions about how to handle, let's say crying, let's just use that. Well, if we just keep elevating it from like there, so it's like, well, what's your concern behind that? Well, what's your ultimate goal? Well, what's your goal behind that? And we keep elevating it. You're probably going to get to a point where you're like, can agree on something. Oh, we love our child or, oh, we want our child to be emotionally healthier, you know, something like this. So you have to keep elevating out of the weeds until you can get to a place where there's some common ground and that common ground can allow you to get into the same book. And then from there, try to find a way forward. The other thing I always recommend is... Gosh, when we're really committed to like wanting to do something a certain way, this is me. Like yeah. when I'm committed, I want to do it a certain <laughs> way. I go into telling mode and most people don't like to be told what right. to do, <laughs> including parenting partners. They don't like it. And so what you want to do instead is come in with curiosity. And I always recommend always supporting your parenting partner in the moment, unless it's something just wildly off base that's like dangerous yeah. or something like that, but support them in the moment and then have the conversations in private and say, well, hey, I noticed this is how you handled that. 
what was your intention behind that? Or what's your thought process with that? What's your goal in that, you know, and like getting curious and then sharing what you see after they feel seen and heard. And this is something we say to do with kids as well. You Mm -hmm. know, everyone just wants to be seen and heard. And so these are some of my like just high level tips of like how you can start getting on the same page and start working more cohesively with a parenting partner even if you don't agree. Oh, and the last thing is, I'll just put one more thing in, is that sometimes we're so concerned about how they're doing it, doing parenting and doing things. So I usually say, work on yourself and how you're parenting and what you wanna do. Your parenting partner is gonna be watching and they're gonna see the results of it. So whenever you start seeing the results that you want from your parenting style, your parenting partner will likely jump on board whenever they see it working for you. This is so interesting because like, the amount of questions I have ended up asking my husband about his own childhood and the amount of conversations we've had about each other's childhood since becoming parents was a, a whole other side to our own relationship that I, you know, you never really see coming because you get curious. Like you said, I'm like, and what did you do when you were little? And they're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. But it's so formative, right? So this is a big one too, which I'm sure is not uncommon for you, but how to deal with parental preferences. So like clinginess with the mom or clinginess with the dad to the point where, you know, like they don't want to do anything that is not with one parent. How to deal with that because then the other parent also ends up feeling bad. I've experienced this firsthand with Victoria. She's like extreme like mom clinginess to the point where my husband just feels like, kind of a failure like he's like well I don't know what to do like why doesn't she like me and I'm like whoa like that's not where we're at like it's not that she doesn't like you what is the reason for that why does that come up and how do we navigate that yeah that's a great question so one of the main points of toddlerhood is become an individual because babies really relate to themselves as an extension of their parents and caregivers so toddlers for the first time are realizing that they are a separate individual so like they can do something that's outside of their parents and caregivers toddlerhood is all about discovering individuality and um, creating a sense of self like that's the overarching developmental thing that's happening so part of that process is realizing that you have preferences and you'll notice that toddler preferences show up everywhere in the clothes they wear the food they eat the toys they play with all the different areas but when it shows up with caregiver or parent preference all of a sudden everyone's up in arms because it hits home a little more personally but i just want to point out like there's actually toddlers are known for having all types of preferences about books they all want to read the same book over over and over and over and over over. (laughs) they want to do the same activity over and over you know so if you look at it from that developmental perspective you can start to see like oh this isn't against me as an individual. This is part of my toddlers just processing their own individualization and preferences. Doesn't mean it makes it any easier, but we can start to see that it's developmental, not personal. So that's the first thing. The next thing that I would say is like, okay, how do we move forward through this? There's a couple of things that we can do. I think the first is like the less favored parent. It's important for them to stay neutral and try to just not take it personally because if they do take it personally, it's like makes the toddler feel really powerful because they like, oh, I have such a big impact on this adult and it can make them feel like too powerful and too too much for them to process. 
process and it can reinforce the parental preference. So I always say for the least preferred parent to try to stay neutral, not take it personally, just be like, oh, okay. Kind of like how you'd react if your toddler wanted to read the same book again or something like that. For the parent that is the favored parent, the suffocated one. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I would say when parental preference shows up and your parenting partner is handling something, but your toddler is getting a little bit upset about it or doesn't like it because they want to go a different way, don't jump in and rescue because again, reinforces the parental preference. And then one way to start moving past it is a lot of times people are like, okay, well, I just need them to do this with the other parent. So then they go from like doing it with one parent to like, you just have to do it with this other parent. And then the child's like, ah, and getting so upset. It's instead of going from one parent to the other, go from one parent doing it to both parents doing it. And then slowly transfer the situation, the responsibility to the other parent. So like say bath time, you know, instead of one parent doing it, have both parents do it. And then the most like preferred parent might start stepping out for a minute or two or five or 10. And then eventually the less preferred parent can do bath time. So this is a good way that's like just more gentle and easier for everyone to um, navigate those challenges. Amazing. I have practiced that in that I can attest that that works really well. <laughs> um, okay. So my last question is around Uh, So someone here, they're saying they are a parent of a two and four-year-old. So that has to be really hard, number one. Um, And so how do they deal between like sibling rivalry or like moments like of chaos between the two of them together? Because although they're both very young, they are still the two-year-old. You want to kind of talk to them in a different way than the four-year-old, but like that whole dynamic can get really tricky. So what do you recommend for parents of multiple toddlers and dealing with all of that. So I think the first thing to take a look at is going to be your own mindset and how you're relating to the children and their behavior, because we tend to sometimes reinforce behaviors that we don't want to by falling into these traps where we relate to the two-year-old still as the baby. And you might even notice yourself saying like, oh, well, the baby, the baby. Well, it's like, actually, this is not a baby anymore. This is a toddler, you know, but relating to them as the babies, like relating to them as like the weaker one or, but somehow gives them like more of like a special treatment and that the older child can sometimes see or relating to the older child as old enough to know better when it's like, oh, wait, no, this is still a toddler that's lacking impulse control and lacking the brain maturation for emotional regulation and behavior regulation and all these things. So I think the first thing to look at is like how you're relating to them as individuals. The next thing to look at is inside of that, are you relating to one of them always as like the aggressor and the other one always as like the victim? Because if you're relating to them that way, it reinforces those roles and reinforces the conflict and things like that. So once you kind of get an assessment of like, okay, what lens am I using here? Maybe start shifting it. When that conflict and rivalry, you know, does come up, I always recommend that you try to be in the role of the coach 
versus like coming in as the judge and jury. And one way to be the coach is to come in and get curious. Now, if someone's crying and upset and all these things, you're going to come in and you're going to, you know, make sure everyone's okay, but you want to make sure both kids are okay because the one that's crying maybe has like a physical hurt, you know, maybe got hit or something, but the kid who like maybe hit them might have an emotional hurt because maybe the younger one like took his toy when he was playing with it, but no one saw that, you know? So you just want to make sure both kids are okay get curious about what happened. Let both kids tell their side of the story to the extent that they can. As they get older, they'll be able to more, but we want to just set up that habit of communication and then set any limits that are needed and follow through with teaching some skills. So like, what can they do next time? Maybe helping them make amends, things like that. But I think we just really have to look at what role we're consistently casting the kids in because sometimes it inadvertently reinforces rivalry and conflicts that we didn't even realize that was fueling it. I feel like you and I could probably talk for another two hours. (laughs) This was super helpful, but for anyone who wants more, Devin, can you tell us, you know, the resources that you provide on your website and everything so that everybody knows where to find you? I have my website, Transforming Toddlerhood, and then you can find me on Instagram at Transforming Toddlerhood. And I have a membership that teaches parents a new parenting tool every month and how to implement it called the Toddler Parenting Toolbox. And I have lots of um, workshops in my link in bio and on my site for um, discipline and setting limits and even toddler meets baby. So how to bring home a new sibling. And I also every year host the Transforming Toddlerhood Conference, which brings together 25 plus experts on all different topics in toddlerhood. And the next one's happening um, March 30th through April 3rd of 2022. And it's a free event. So be sure to check in on my website and Instagram and sign up and join us. We'll share it. We'll share it when it's coming up. Thank you so much. This was so helpful. And I really think we just scratched the surface here of everything that we can do. But we really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Arupay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de 25 dólares al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita BoostMobile.com. Lo mejor, lo más impactante está por venir en Tu vida es mi vida. De lunes a viernes a las 8 por Univisión.